The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 20 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two spooky episodes of Murder at Midnight. We'll begin after this short break. Produced in New York, Murder at Midnight came to radio in September of 1946 and featured macabre tales of mystery and terror, often with a supernatural twist. Raymond Morgan, a former Long Island minister who had left the cloth for the excitement of radio, was the foreboding host who each week uttered the lines, Midnight, the witching hour, when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. Over its six-year run in syndication, Murder at Midnight had a relatively high production budget, about $5,000 per show, which helped it pull respectable audience shares. The supporting players were New York's best, including Lawson Zerby, Carl Swenson, Barry Kroger, Lon Clark, Elspick Eric, Mercedes McCambridge, Wendell Holmes, and Raymond Edward Johnson. The series was produced by Louis G. Cohen and directed by Anton M. Leader with scripts by top writers, including Joseph Ruskell, Max Ehrlich, and Robert Newman. Time now for the first of two horror episodes of Murder at Midnight. In this first one, a woman has a very vivid dream that her husband is going to kill her. Here's Nightmare on Murder at Midnight. No, don't make me... I say yes. It's got to be now and here. She's got to die. Betty. I say yes. Here. I'll hold her arm. All right, Betty, but... No, 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 don't. I don't want to die. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest. Our fears the strongest. And our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in Nightmare. (laughs) 
And now, Murder at Midnight. Tales of Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story by Joseph Ruskall is one of the most terrifying and fantastic nightmares we've ever heard. Its title, Nightmare. Almost 12 o'clock. Mm. I, I wish you'd let me get some sleep. Oh, oh thank heaven. Oh, it was... It must have been just a dream. Oh, thank the Lord. Oh, Ernie, it was so real. I dreamed somebody was leaning over me just now with a pillow. Oh, it was horrible. They were trying to smother me to death... And Ernie. Yeah? It was you. What? Oh, me. Oh, that's a beaut. Now, where's the light? Oh, I kissed you back. Why, you poor, foolish little... Come here, Butch. I'll kiss you back. No, no, don't touch me. Keep away. What is this? That pillow in your hand. Oh, for crying out, Bells. Can't I even straighten it out? Sorry, dear. Gee... Don't mind me, but that that horrible nightmare, it seemed so real. Oh, darling, wasn't that crazy? You, the sweetest, gentlest husband in the world. Then why... Ernie, now please, don't look so hurt. Now I can't even look hurt. I just murdered my wife in her sleep, didn't I? No, you were just about to. I mean... Oh, now what the... Everything's happening tonight. Hello. What? Who? Wrong number. And what's more, this is a heck of a time to be ringing. Why, what a nerve. <laughs> what a night. Thought maybe that was the police you phoned in your dream. Now, now will you go to sleep? Ernie Kraft, I'm sure I didn't mean to insinuate anything. I was just telling you my dream. You asked, didn't you? Oh, you're a character. I guess I'll have to put you in that book I never wrote, too. <gasps> well, now what? That was in it, too. Huh? That book you never wrote. You nagged about it so much, no wonder. Oh, and that look when you bent over me like a madman. Oh. Ernie, what on earth do you suppose made me have a nightmare? That's easy. You would insist on eating hamburgers after the show tonight. Yes, I did, didn't I, when we got out of the movies. Hamburgers, of course. Ernie, they were part of my dream, too. Hamburgers. Oh. Ernie, stop punching on that pillow, please. All right, all right. Go ahead, then. Better tell me your dream, all of it. Neither of us will sleep until you do. I'll just light this butt. Now, let's have gruesome details. Well, I don't know if I can remember now. It was all so hazy and terrifying. Well, what happened before I smothered you with a pillow? A crazy quilt. Something about your job and... I was a millstone around your neck, and hamburgers, and you hated me, and July 15th... 
July 15th. Yes, I can't imagine what that meant. Look, look. Start at the start. Why did I decide to murder you? Because of that other woman, your secret love. Huh? You promised her you'd kill me tonight when I was asleep. My secret love? Yes, she had you in her spell. Oh, that's kind of bad casting, isn't it, Butch? I'm the dish, dishes and dustpan type, remember? In the five years we've been married, have I ever looked I at know, another... I know, I know. I told you it was a crazy dream. Maybe you want me to eliminate my one night a week out, too. My Saturday gin rummy with the boys. Oh, no. Uh, who was my secret love? Did she uh, have a face? <laughs> well, this is the silliest part of it, Ernie. It's absolutely ridiculous. It was that girl, Betty Daniels. Betty Daniels? <laughs> Who's she? You remember that tall, dark-haired artist I introduced you to at Cape Cod last summer? Cape Cod? At Co the exhibition. No, I don't... Oh, wait a minute. Trousers, <laughs> long cigarette holder, yes. very intense. Yes, very intense. But what the devil... What was she doing in your dream? We said hello to her, we walked off, and that was that. Uh, casual. Yes, I know. I already remember myself. I can't imagine why I dreamt of it. Why? No, no, no don't touch me. Don't. No. Oh, that dream, that awful dream. So crazy. And yet it seemed to be telling me something, warning me. <laughs> and weird. You know how dreams are. First thing I remember is Provincetown and us looking at the art exhibition just the way we did last summer. Only now the picture was about ten feet tall and hanging crooked. And then she came along. Betty Daniels. Just the way she did then. Hello, Helen. And I introduced you the same as I did then. Only not... Exactly the same. Like in a dream. You know, silly. Betty Daniels, this is my husband, Ernest. He is very faithful to me. How do you do? How do you do? We've never met. That's a marvelous Goya painting, Helen, don't you think? Or do you prefer hamburgers? Well, I... My wife prefers hamburgers, Miss Daniels. Oh. Oh, I didn't know. Only after a movie, though. Anyway, I'm sure I can't tell one painting from another. My husband's the art lover in the family, I guess. And I just tag along for the fish. Only I don't like fish. I like hamburgers. I know. You don't wear trousers like I do. You're... fluffy. Betty and I met on the beach here, and she's a painter. Our rowboats got tangled. That's how we met. Yes, it was all very casual. I hardly remember. Well, well. Ernie and I are going back to New York today. Isn't that a shame? I wish you two wouldn't stare at each other so. Well, we better run along, Helen. Lots of packing to do. Ernie has got to get back to his silly old job. He's a reporter. A reporter? Shouldn't he write a book he never wrote? Well, imagine. That's what he always says. Well, goodbye. I'm wondering why I'm thinking of you now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. The scenes sort of dissolve into each other like a kind of dream movie. And I'm trembling with fright because I have a feeling I know how the plot's going to end. The next thing I remember, Ernie, I'm in a penthouse apartment on Park Avenue. Everything zigzag, even the butler. And I'm the maid, Helen, there. And what I'm doing is turning pages for Betty Daniels while she plays the piano for you, Ernie. Isn't that crazy? Neither of you hardly notice me at all, and I keep trying to open my mouth, uh, 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 like that, but it's stuck, 
And I'm absolutely frozen at what I overhear. Darling. Yes, Butch. Love our loveness. Out of this world. Ah, this is heaven. Ernie, do you ever call your wife Butch? Never. What gave you that idea? I hate the very sight of her. <laughs> she's really a little ignoramus. You're telling me. She prefers hamburgers. Ernie, do you think she suspects yet? Of course not. She thinks I'm at a gin rummy game. Darling, you're blind, but she's not. She knows. She knows? How? How'd she find out? You may go, Helen. Helen, do you hear me? Why don't you go? Answer me. Have you lost your tongue? Oh, well, there's murder in the air. How'd she find out, Betty? Tell me. Darling, do you suppose she doesn't know what happened last summer in Provincetown? After we all said goodbye, you came to look for your cigarette lighter. She knew you hadn't lost your lighter, that you'd come back to ask me for my <laughs> New York telephone number. Uh, 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 she knew? Of course, intuition. She knows we've been having a secret affair ever since. Uh, 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 I can't go on like this. I'm tired of being just a gin rummy excuse. Ernie, if you love me, you'll do what I promised. But I pity her so. Don't be a fool. Isn't it her fault you never wrote that book you never wrote? It's true. She wouldn't let me give up my job. She's a millstone around my uh, neck. And uh, get rid of her, Ernie. Get rid of her and I'll bring your genius to the world. I've plenty of money and you can, you can give up reporting and write that book. Fulfill your destiny. Fulfill my destiny. Oh, Betty, you'll help me. Yes. But only if you forget July 15th. You'll forget about July 15th. It won't mean a thing to you from now on. Not a thing. I promise. And you'll do away with it. The way I told you. Yes, like you told me. The pillow. The pillow. Uh, 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 Don't let her hear. Just look at her standing there at the piano. You've been spying on us, Helen, haven't you? Haven't you? Answer, have you lost your tongue? Oh, don't try to fool us. We know you're the real Helen and, and not the maid. She's heard everything you've said, Ernie. So we'll have to kill her now. Unless, unless she gives me a divorce. Will you give him a divorce? Answer or we'll finish you right now. Hey, well. Here's the pillow, Annie. Right now. I'll hold her on. Ah! Answer, Helen. Don't make me do it. Answer, Helen. I pity you, but I hate you. Let her cry. Look at her. Strip and dumb. Her mouth's moving, but she's not saying anything. What are you trying to say? Helen, please don't make me do it. Will you give me a divorce? Tell me. Tell me. Ah! Ernie. Ah. Ernie, stop. Fools we are. Do you want her body found here? Fine for you. She's got it. She's got No, no, not here. Not like this. There must be some other way. Later tonight, Ernie. After the movies. Hamburgers. She'll get hungry for hamburgers. She's bound to. The waiter will ask her how she wants them. That'll give you the clue. And then, when she's asleep... <laughs> and they'll find her in her bed. <laughs> the perfect crime. Don't you see, Ernie? Hamburgers. A frightened girl reliving a dream that was more terrible than any reality. A dream that could even become more terrible. As the clock on the mantel takes on, and the hands draw closer to twelve o'clock and... Murder at midnight. Now, 
back to Murder at Midnight and Nightmare. Well, let's hear the rest of this dream of yours, Helen. What happened after that? Well, it was after that that it really got bad. It was so crazy, but so real. I don't know what stopped you, Ernie, kept you from killing me then, but you didn't. And still, I knew you were going to. You dragged me out into the street and then into a movie and then out again. And I looked at you and you were crying because you'd made up your mind to finish me off when we got home. You should have let me write that book, Helen. You should have. And I kept crying, I love you, Ernie. Don't kill me, please don't kill me tonight. But I've got to. I've got to. I pity you, but I've got to. And you pulled me along through the streets again. I was terrified. And then I saw a policeman and I cried to him, Officer! Yes? What is it, lady? Please save me. My husband here wants to kill me. Oh, wants to kill you? <laughs> Why, that's a crime. <laughs> a felony. Oh, why are you joking? Don't joke about it. Do something, please. I'm frightened to death. Don't pay any attention to her, officer. She's dreaming. I'm not. Don't believe him. He wants to wait till I go to sleep tonight. And then as soon as I fall asleep... Oh, come now, lady. He wouldn't do it to you in your sleep. Why, you're cute. Not in her sleep now, would you, mister? Of course not, officer. Not in her sleep. As a matter of fact, we're stopping off first for a hamburger. She's hungry. No, 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 I'm not. I mean, I am, but I don't dare. I'm starving, but I don't dare. He's just waiting for me to order one, officer, to see what I'll say. And then he'll take me home and kill me. Oh, 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 oh. lady, stop. Sure, and you're breaking me hard. <laughs> Come along, dear. No, no, officer, please protect me. Don't let him take me, please. Come along, I say, darling. And then we were in the little lunchroom in our neighborhood, around the corner from our house, sitting on stools. The counterman came over to us. He winked at you, Ernie, and you winked back at him, and he said... Evening, folks. What do you have? You looked at me, but I shook my head. I shook my head, and the tears were streaming down my face. I tell you what, Joe, make it two hamburgers. <laughs> right. Rare, medium, or well? Medium, Joe. Make mine medium. Right. And the little lady? How do you have yours, Helen? How do you like yours? <laughs> make hers medium, too. Two hamburgers, medium. Two medium, coming out. And what do you have on them, folks? Relish or onion? Relish. Make mine with relish, Joe. Right. And the little lady? Man's talking to you, Helen. How'll you have yours? Answer him, I say. Answer him. This is it. How'll you have yours? No, I won't tell him. If I do, you'll know. You'll know how to do it. So I won't tell him. I won't. The next thing I dreamt, we were home again. Sitting in the parlor. Everything exactly the same, Ernie. Just like tonight before we went to bed. But in my dream, I was sitting paralyzed in a cold sweat, waiting for the word. The word from you that meant my death. Oh, well, Butcher, I guess we better hit the hay. What do you say? What do you say, darling? No, uh, wait, I, uh, Ernie, did I tell that counterman how I wanted my hamburger, sir? Did of course, I... dear. What did I say? I can't seem to remember. Oh. I forget to come along to bed. No, no, I don't want to go to bed yet. Please don't make me go to bed. I'm scared. Helen. <laughs> come to bed, darling. Like a good little girl. Hmm? 
We went to bed. And then you said... And now, lights out, eh? I tried to think of everything I knew to keep awake. I wondered whether I ought to count to a hundred or whether counting would put me to sleep. I tried not to count, but I felt myself getting sleepier and sleepier. Asleep, honey? I heard, but I pretended not to. I fought to keep my eyes open. I knew I would die if I closed them. Asleep, Butch? I didn't answer. I couldn't if I wanted to. I was so scared. And then pretty soon I heard you stirring ever so quietly. And in a moment you were leaning over me. Oh, Ernie, I know it was just a dream, but it was so real. And there was hatred in your eyes, and there was a pillow in your hand, and I knew you were going to do it right then, and I... <laughs> Oh, 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 that's a beaut, that's a honey. Oh, my aching back. Darling, when you have a nightmare, you sure do it up golden brown and creepy. Wasn't it crazy? Oh, darling, wasn't it mad? Oh, oh, oh wait till I tell it around the office tomorrow. Oh, 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 oh this is too good, dear. But, Ernie, how does a person have a horrible dream like that? What does it mean? Oh, it's a cinch. I'll interpret it for you. And without a dream book, you too. You will? Well, go on, then, Ernie. Tell me. Okay, then here it is. First of all, a dream always means the opposite, right? You ever hear that? Yes, I have. That's right, it does. Which means I must love you simply awful. Granted? <laughs> Granted, silly. But, goodness, what about the rest of it? Easiest thing in the world. Darling, where'd we go tonight? To a movie. What kind of a movie? It was a, a murder story. Gee, that's right. Do you think that was... Now, don't interrupt, Butch. Who was starring in the movie? Betty Davis. Repeat the first name. Betty. And the villainous in the dream, my secret love, the girl we met last summer, was also Betty. Betty Daniels. Oh! Well, that gave you Betty on the brain when you went to sleep tonight, and movies, and murder, uh. and those hamburgers you did stop to eat after the show wrapped up the whole sequence. And no wonder, they're still lying on my stomach, too. <laughs> what was the pillow doing in it? Sweetness and light, what were you talking about early this evening? That chore you intend to get after someday? Oh, yes, I've got to stuff the pillows. They're caved in the way the feathers have come out. Right, that's your pillow you had on the brain, which uh, which brings me back to the hamburgers. Yes, I was going to ask you, I mean, that nonsense of how did I want my hamburgers, what did all that mean, for heaven's sake? Precious, how did you order your hamburgers done tonight? Remember? No, I can't recall. Oh, of course you can. Think now. How do you almost always order your hamburgers? Well, smothered in onions. Oh, Ernie, of course. Smothered in onions. Smother, pillow, smother with a pillow. <laughs> Jack. Oh, my heaven's sakes alive. Oh, my gosh. So that was it. <laughs> oh, if that doesn't be... Ernie, that was wonderful. Really. The way you did that, figured that all out. I think you'd make a terrific detective. Yeah, so I'm a police reporter. Close enough. <laughs> Darling... It's made me think, though, but maybe I have been a little bit selfish. What do you mean? Well, that book you always wanted to write. Maybe I ought to, to let you give up your job and try. Oh, and have us both starve? Nuts. Anyway, in my sane moments, Helen, I've always known the truth. I'm no writer. If I had it in me, it would have come out of me, job or no job. I could go back to work again, you know. I could take up nursing again. 
It was pretty hard, no, but no, I... No, no, nonsense. I won't have it. I won't say any more about it, and that's final. You're a swell guy, though, Butch. So offer to. Oh, there was one thing more, Ernie. Hmm? Yeah? What do you suppose that was... That was all that about July 15th, about your forgetting July 15th. What did that mean, do you know? Yeah. Don't you? No, I can't. It does seem familiar, but I can't seem to... Where are you going? Get something out of my wallet. Wait a minute. What's the date of our anniversary, Helen? Hmm? Uh, July 15th, of course. Tomorrow. What was that? Right. You've had that on the brain, too. Oh. Yeah. Little present for you, darling. Oh, what on earth? Tickets. Two railroad tickets to Montreal. Right again. We're taking an anniversary trip. I wanted to surprise you when you woke up, but... Well, anyway, happy anniversary, baby. Oh, Ernie. Oh, you great big precious darling. How can I ever... You didn't forget. You always did before, but this time you didn't. Oh, Ernie, I just can't stand it. First that dream and then finding out that it did me just the opposite. No, 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 Helen, don't. It's don't. so sweet of you. I'm so thrilled. Montreal, where we had our honeymoon and you haven't forgotten. Oh, Ernie, I, I do hope I've been a good wife to you. And if there's anything I ever... I mean, if you want me to, I can always change. Oh, darling, I wouldn't want you any different for the world. I want you to stay just the same sweet little girl I married. And now, let's get some shut-eye, huh? Lights out? All right. And I'm going to put the tickets right here under the pillow. And have a happy dream for a change. <sighs> Good night, Butch. You haven't kissed me? Mm. Good night, dear. Asleep, darling. Darling, are you asleep? Hello? Ernie? You shouldn't have phoned before, Betty. She was still awake. I had to know. Is, is it done? Not yet. You got the tickets? Yes. It has to be tonight. You promised. I know. Is she asleep now? Yes. Just gone off. Then, then what are you waiting for? Nothing. I'll do it now. Right now. As soon as I hang up. Putting down the phone, Ernie turns and picks the pillow off his bed. As the clock finishes striking twelve. Murder! At midnight.
Remember to be with us again when death appears out of the darkness, wearing the face of one you know, and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. The part of Helen was played by Elspeth Eric. Walter Vaughn was Ernie. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leader. Midnight, starring Elspeth Eric in Nightmare, from June 7, 1946. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another scary episode of Murder at Midnight for you after this break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, a big game hunter uses a captured ape to kill his wife. Then he begins to turn into an ape. Here's the ape song on Murder at Midnight. But on the top floor, we finally caught up with her. Crane, please, please. That ape, get him out of here. I'll do anything, anything. You treated me like an animal, Cecily. And now an animal shall treat you as you deserve. Choke you to death. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest and our fears the strongest strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a moment in The Ape Song. Murder at 
at Midnight, Tales of Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story by Peter Martin is The Ape Song. Night and fog shroud a nondescript freighter just in from Africa and now unloading its cargo in New York Harbor. Down in the ship's deepest hold stands Crane Folliot, the famous big game hunter. Before him is an iron cage containing his latest conquest, a restless thing of panic and hysteria and insensate passions, a huge ape. Quiet. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to kill you, hurt you. I've killed too much already. And besides, I need you to live, need your help. Now, that's better. Yes, my friend, you shall live to save me from death. A death in life. I'll be taking them off in a minute. Huh? Oh, good. Lucky thing we were able to get a hold of another truck. Why the university forgot to send their truck is beyond me. Still, I don't think keeping the animal in my cellar overnight will harm him or anybody. Nah. Look at him shake, though. He's scared. Well, not scared, exactly. That's because, like all apes taken from their natural habitat, he imagines he's in the presence of death. Death? Yes. What's he doing now, opening and closing his mouth as if he were trying to sing or something? How, how did you know? No. Know what? Oh, I'm sorry, no, you you wouldn't know. They can sing, though. Yeah? They do. But only when they're in the presence of death. We rode home through the foggy night in the truck, the ape and I. The house was dark when we got there. And I had to give the driver and his helper an extra $20 to take the canvas-covered crate holding the ape around to the back door and into the cellar. Walking up the cellar stairs, I entered the front hall and... uh, Elliot, is that you? Dr. Murchison. Yes, welcome home. Uh, What what are you doing here? Your wife was just going out when I came here, but she let me in and I've been waiting for you. Waiting for me? Yes. Yes. I was about to go myself when I heard the noise downstairs. Oh, I suppose you want to know where the ape is. Well, he's downstairs in the cellar. I see. Folliot, why did you bring the ape here rather than to my laboratory? Well, the laboratory truck never arrived. What? It's impossible. I personally arranged for it to meet you at the pier. Why are you questioning me, Dr. Murchison? You don't really think I want an ape as a house guest, do you? The only thing I was interested in was to get the ape to a safe place until morning. Then I was going to call you. I see. Uh, Can't you wait to start cutting him up, whatever you intend to do with him? Do you want to take him with you now? Well, you know that's impossible, Folliot. And you know we don't intend to cut him up. Well, I'm sorry, Doctor, but the strain taking care of him, you know what delicate animals they are. Uh, Won't you come into my study and we can talk? Thanks, Folliot, but now that I know he's safe, I must be running along. As you wish. When, uh, when will you send the truck around, take him to the laboratory? Around noon, I should say. 
good. Get some sleep, man. You look terribly tired. Yes, good, peaceful sleep at last. Hello, someone's at the door. Uh, yes, yes, I imagine it's my wife. Oh, oh, Crane. Hello, Cecily. You're back. Yes. Why? Why? That's a strange question. You know Dr. Murchison, don't you? Yes. I was just about to leave, Mrs. Folliet. You must excuse my wife, Doctor. She's so pleased at seeing me that she's forgotten her manners. I understand. Well, I'll be in touch with you. Brian? Good night, Mrs. Folliet. Good night. Crane, you promised you'd stay away until November. Yes, I know I did. But the thought of you all alone in this big house doing nothing but waiting for me to return to your welcoming arms... What else could I do but rush home as quickly as I could, my dear? Don't be sarcastic, Crane. On the contrary, my dear. I'm not being half as sarcastic as I'd like to be. Excuse me, I, I'm going to bed. But uh, don't you care for me just a little, Cecily? Just enough to kiss me goodnight? Let me pass. I've never asked very much of you, you know. No more than the friendly pat on the head you give to your dog. I said let me pass. Yes, Cecily. But first, there's something I must tell you. How tired I am of being a hunter, of killing wild animals instead of enjoying the happiness of my home with you. You seem to enjoy your hunting trips well enough. You're always going on them and bragging about them to everybody. Now, let me pass, Crane. Please believe me, Cecily. Hunting is only a substitute. A very unsatisfactory substitute for the love I hope to receive from you. I never do. I thought we'd settled all that. Yes, but I... I never dreamed you'd treat me like some loathsome animal you couldn't bear near you as though I wasn't a man but an ape. When are you leaving on your next trip? When? Yes. Because until you do, I'm going away. If you hate me so much, my dear, why don't you go to Reno and get divorced? You know my family doesn't approve of divorce. Of course they don't. Especially when it's a matter of losing the foliate millions along with a husband. How can you be so disgusting? Something terrible has happened to me, Cecily. Something which forbids me ever to go hunting again. Don't make silly excuses. You know you love to hunt. Not uh, anymore, Cecily. Something has happened that makes me terrified ever to hunt again. What on earth are you talking about? I really can't explain it, my dear. But on this last trip, every time I killed a wild animal, I imagined I was killing... I was killing you. <laughs> I watched her run up the stairs in terror. I heard the slam of her bedroom door. Stood there at the foot of the stairs for a moment, dazed, yet more certain than ever of what I had to do. And then quite unexpectedly, I felt the wet sting of tears on my cheeks. Yes, there were tears, but no sound. I thought of the ape in the hold of the ship silently opening and closing his mouth. Some outside force seemed to be guiding me now as though I was a mechanically controlled robot. I began walking down the hallway to the cellar door. The darkness didn't frighten me. As my friend, I went down the cellar steps in perfect calm, never thinking to snap on the light. No, it was the darkness 
that soothed me, whispered to me. The darkness and the presence of my friend. He sensed me, of course. And more than that, he expected me. He knew I was coming. I went to him. There he was, outlined in the dim light of a faraway street lamp, coming into the cellar from the grating over my head. <laughs> yes, my friend. You want to be free, don't you? <laughs> yes, and why not be free? But before I let you out of your cage, we must understand each other. There is a price you must pay for your freedom. <laughs> Am I really being so unreasonable? Listen, you shall do what I command you to do with an ecstasy of satisfaction, do you hear? For this time, it is no animal you will see die, but a human being. And more than that, my friend, you will not only see her die, but you yourself shall kill her, shall avenge all the terrible deaths I have dealt your fellow brothers of the animal kingdom. Ah, I see you are pleased. And you should be. Didn't I kill your mate? But I tell you, Cecily drove me to it in my need to quench my murder lust against her. And now, my friend, you shall act as my conscience. You shall kill Cecily in revenge. Your spirit shall be my spirit and Cecily will die. Yes, yes, you do understand. Here in my hand is the key to your cage, the key to your freedom, and mine. We have made our bargain, haven't we? Yes, yes. We understand each other as though we were two brothers. Yes. Come out. Now, upstairs to her room. It is there that you shall sing at last. Yes, your song of freedom. Your ape song. And so man and ape start for the room of their victim. Start up the stairs side by side in the darkness as the clock strikes twelve for... Murder! At Back to Murder at Midnight and the Ape Song. Crane Folliot and his ape continue up the steps to Cecily's room. We went up the cellar stairs together. And it didn't seem strange when the ape took my hand as though wishing me to guide him. And then for a moment I was afraid of trouble. The ape became fascinated with the heavy carpeting in the hallway, patting it with his hand as an infant plays with sand. But finally, I got him to stand up and come with me. We made hardly any sound as we climbed the main staircase leading to her room. Uh, who, who is it? What is it, my dear? What's the matter? Oh, something in the room. I hear it. I see its eyes. But that's fantastic, my dear. There. There it is. Crane. Crane, what are you doing to me? I see nothing. I hear nothing. Crane, let go of my arm. In a moment. But won't you kiss me, please? You... 
going to kill me. Oh, no, no, not I. Come, aren't you going to kiss me just once, as you used to in the old, old days? All right. Yes, anything. But let me go. Good. Now, let me hold you in my arms. Oh, Cecily, I need you so. Why have I lost you? Why did you forsake me, Cecily? Go! Cecily, come back. Don't run. You can't get away. Very well, if that's the way you want it. It was quite a chase. I followed them as they ran through the house from room to room, floor to floor. She seemed to be making for the roof, but I knew if she got away from me, she'd never, never shake off the ape. Finally, on the top floor, we caught up with her in the attic. Crane! Please! Please, that ape! Get him out of here! Crane, I'll do anything! You treated me like an animal, Cecily. And now an animal shall treat you as you deserve. Choke the life out of you. There she is. Over there in the corner. No. No, Crane. She made me kill your mates. Kill her. Kill her. Kill her. Crane. Crane. Goodbye, Cecily. I felt wonderful. I stood over her body and thought I could smell the sea and hear the pounding of the clean waves. And I felt sleepy again. Really sleepy again. I knew I could sleep now. I don't know how long I stood there or how long the doorbell was ringing until I remembered that it wasn't I that had killed her, but the ape. I was safe. Why not go downstairs and open the door? Couldn't get a taxi, and I wanted to see the ape first thing in the morning anyway, so I thought I'd come back to that comfortable sofa of yours. Dr. Murchison, the ape has escaped. Escaped? Yes, he jumped out of a window into a tree after killing my wife. Fuliet, what are you saying? Yes, right after you left. The first I knew of it was when she screamed. I ran upstairs to her room, but... Queer. What was that? I merely said it was queer. I can't tell you how sorry I am, Fuliet, for you. Sorry? For me? Shouldn't I be? In a way. Yes, it's lucky you did come back. We'll have to organize a search for the ape, of course. Call the police. Yes. I am sorry for you, Fuliet. Terribly sorry. The days that followed were the happiest of my life. At the inquest, the coroner's verdict was death by accidental strangulation. The ape could not be found, and the official opinion was that he drowned in the river his body carried out to sea. Everything had worked out perfectly until I began to become aware of something strange and frightening and horrible. All this was happening to me. One day on the street. You dropped a coin, sir. Oh, thanks, that dime. I... I have it. Uh... Did you hurt your finger? Here, let me pick it up for you. Uh, thank you, my thumb. Somehow I can't seem to bring it across. My thumb was no longer opposable. I couldn't bring it across my fingers. I never realized what it could mean until a few days later at a ball game. Get your scorecard at the game. Can't tell nothing without a scorecard, mister. Never mind. 
come on, mister. Only a dime a scorecard. You don't want to spoil the pleasure of the game just for a dime, do you? Move on, you idiot. Yeah, who are you, a quiz kid or something? I said get out of here. Take your hands off of me, you ape, you. What was happening to me? I could hardly force myself to think about it. But I had to, especially after what happened at my club. I say there, fellow, you told men. Have a seat in the chat. Uh, thank you, Sam, but I've got to be going. Uh, yes, of course. I see. You see what? Lumbago, huh? Can't straighten up your back. Uh, going to a doctor, eh? You think it would help, do you? I don't know. But you certainly can't spend the rest of your life bending over like that with your hands hanging halfway to your knees. A half hour later, I was in Murchison's office. Now, now, you must take it easy, Folliot. We all have our off days, you know. You've got to help me, Dr. Murchison. You don't know what I'm going through. I wonder. You do look rather... I can't stand wearing shoes anymore. They torture me. And I can't straighten my back up. Have you ever had rheumatism? Any severe back injury? Rheumatism? You sit there talking like that when I've caught myself making sounds like an ape? Don't you realize what's happening? That's what I'm becoming, an ape. You're a psychiatrist, aren't you? Well, do something. You've got to do something. Quit your whimpering and listen. I can help you, but only if you cooperate. I'll do anything. Admit you arranged for your wife's murder. What? With the ape's help. Everything points to it, Folliot. Bringing the ape to your house, your strange behavior before and after I left. And now the transference. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's quite simple. Arranging for the ape to strangle your wife put you legally in the clear. But you can't strangle your guilt. You can only suppress it. And unconsciously in your guilt you have taken on the actual characteristics of the ape. If you say that again, I'll kill you. Killing me would only prove your guilt twice over. Be sensible, Folliot. Trust me. I've taken extensive note on your case. You've taken note? Yes, because I knew that some sort of reaction would set in. Oh, Folliot, no, no. Keep away from me. No. You... You're going to turn me over to the police. You're against me, too. Everyone's against me trying to hunt me down. But you won't get me. You won't. Please stop I dropped him. And he fell to the floor gasping. And then I tore open the door and ran. I didn't know where I was going, what I was going to do next. I only knew I had to hide. I found an abandoned house, hid in the cellar. And there, there in the darkness, it all became clear. Ape. The ape who had killed Cecily. I was the ape. That meant he was Crane Folliot, and that meant... Yes. I had to find him somehow. Kill him for killing Cecily. And that way, that way become my old self again. Where could I go? Where would I hide if I were he? Where there is green. Yes, and trees. And rocks. Ape, yes. In the park. night in the park, I threw off my shoes and walked barefoot, concealed in the night as I hunted my mortal enemy, 
Piece by piece, I discarded my clothes, my jacket, my shirt, my trousers, walking like the animal I had become. My eyes were sharper than they'd ever been. I could see even in the darkness. And then, as the moon started to go down, I climbed a ridge. There were caves, cages, stone houses, the zoo. And then I heard something, something that made the hair prickle on the back of my neck. My fingers itched and my body shook as I heard the sound that told me I had found my enemy, the ape. I jumped down toward the sounds, my lips puffing in and out with my heavy breathing, my head pounding like a trip hammer, my entire body aflame with the hot blood of murder. I ran to where the sounds came from, and there was a locked steel door. The ape was snarling, daring me to come near him. I ran around to the other side, wrenched a fire axe from the wall, and came back to the door. I smashed at the lock with the sharp edge of the axe, opened the door, and leaped into the cage. He reared at me with his hind legs, and I sprang at his throat. Hold him, Moses. Jake, get your gun quick. There's a man in there. Let me up, though. Die. Die for killing Cecily. And die in me, too. Let me be fully at... Fully at, do you hear? Watch out. The cage is open. Dead. Yes, dead. And I free. There he is, Chick. Let him out. Yes, it's he. I pronounce him dead. Who'd have thought a man could make a sound like that? It was dark, and we thought the ape had killed him, so Jake just fired. What gets me is his trying to kill an ape with his bare hands and doing it. Mm. To his crazed mind, this was the same ape he provoked into killing his wife. I'll never forget that sound as long as I live. Never. The complete transference into ape. Yet he could have been saved. Look at them lying on the ground. Too bad we couldn't have gotten here a minute sooner. Sure left an easy trail, dropping his shoes and clothes after him piece by piece. Ape and men on the ground, side by side. It ain't pretty. His toes turned in, puffs of hair from the ape's throat still clutched between his fingers, his teeth biting into his lower lip. Poor Folliette. Or should I say poor humans? How close to animals we really are. Two bodies lying side by side in the darkness, with no one to say which was the victim, as the clock strikes twelve for murder at Thank you.
remember to be with us again when death pads through the night with glowing eyes and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. The part of the big game hunter was played by Raymond Edward Johnson. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leder. Murder at Midnight, starring Raymond Edward Johnson in The Ape Song from November 1st, 1946. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 21 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 21 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two adventure episodes of the Green Hornet, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune into our next show. Thanks for listening.